Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Creating the NFL schedule is a grueling task each year. This past year, four people poured over 59,031 possible schedules for four months. However, they use a whole bunch of computers that run 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, to create the best possible combinations. Back in the day, the hero of our story did it all by himself. Let's just say scheduling is a little important to TV networks. As an example, Fox signed a Thursday night contract this season where they will pay each year for the next 5 seasons $660 million. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off our DeLorean, the date is December 9th, 1978. We're at Three Rivers Stadium back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff between the Baltimore Colts and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you ask yourself, was this like some crazy playoff game or some super important pivotal moment type of game? Well, maybe, because it was. But it wasn't because it had anything to do with the playoffs. It wasn't, you know, like this super division rival that was going to end up being going down as one of the greatest single game performances of all time. However, This was an important game in NFL history. You see, back in 1978, the league went from a 14 regular season to a 16 game regular season. And this was the very first game where a team would have a 15th NFL regular season game. So the Baltimore Colts and the Pittsburgh Steelers were able to share that game together. This was on Saturday, December 9th of 1978. There would end up being another game too. But this was the one that was played at 1 o'clock and the other was played at 4 o'clock. So that would be the first time. Well, you know, we're going to get into this. Not necessarily the very, 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 very first time. But the first time in a long time where it was designated that they were going to play 16 games in the NFL season. So, as we previously discussed back in a way long time ago episode, it was a crapshoot during the early times of the NFL. They pretty much could... You know, dealer's choice. Play as many games as you want. Play against whoever you want, even if they're not in the NFL. So it was a Wild West type of, you know, scheduling system back in the day. And slowly but surely, the NFL got to where we are now with the 16-game regular season. Okay, so kind of going back to that beginning. At the beginning of the NFL, there was just, like I said, a crapshoot. Play as many games as you want. Play whoever you want to play against. It doesn't matter as long as at the end, we have your official final standings. But then in 1935, 
that's when they had the first time where it was a set amount of games to be played. And that game amount was set at number 12. They also had that amount for 1936. Then for... A few years, from 1937 to 1942, the set amount of games was bumped down to 11. Then, from 1943 to 1945, it was 10 games. 1946 was 11 games, then they would crank it back up to 12 games from 1947 to 1960. Then from 1960 to 1977, they played 14 regular season games. Which brings us to the date we're talking about. December 9th, 1978, at Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, this wasn't the date that they decided to go to 16 games, but this would be the first time where they crossed that threshold in the modern era more over that 14-game regular season mark. So in 1978, 16 games started to be played. And of course, that's how it is now. It's been that way ever since, except for that one year, you know, the whole gotta have a strike, don't want to play kind of season, but we'll discuss that in a future episode. And of course, we've, most of us have heard There are talks of going to possibly an 18-game regular season, a 20-game regular season, more preseason games, whatever. You know, got to have more games to be played so we can view more. And of course, this is what it all boils down to. It's all about the Benjamins. I mean, obviously, that's the reason why the NFL continues to increase the games. They're in it for business. You got to be able to play more games to be able to make more money. So they want to play more. But you got to have that kind of balance of, How many times do I make this player play a game as opposed to how much money can I have coming in? And that's where some of these scheduling um, type of rules and decisions come into play. There's a lot of factors that go into creating a schedule. It's not just, well, here, this team's going to play against this team. Let's throw them on this week. And there we go. Bam, boom, just go home. No, there's a lot more to it. And like I said, there's a lot of money involved. The 2017 NFL National Revenue for TV was over $8 billion. I mean, of course, more games, more commercials, more money. So let's figure out all these little things that go into creating a schedule. I mean, there's so many different working parts that go into creating a schedule. I mean, it's more than you or I might realize. I mean, even one thing that I saw was it comes down to social things, like avoiding home games in heavily Jewish areas on Yom Kippur. I mean, just Things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily think about, but you got to figure, yeah, it sure would impact a city if you have something going on like that, and maybe you won't have as many fans come to the stadium to be able to purchase those tickets and get the cheddar for the owner and all the people involved. Like I said at the beginning of this, there's now four different people that are in charge of making the schedule, along with what I saw upwards of 255 computers to shift through hundreds of trillions of combinations to figure out the best schedule. Now, that doesn't mean hundreds of trillions of schedules of, you know, who can play who. It is the kind of combination of, is it going to be the, let's just throw out the Carolina Panthers and Tampa Bay Bucks. Are they going to play week one, seven, six, when they playing at home? Are they playing on Sunday night, Thursday night? Are they going to play back-to-back road games? Are they going to go to London first, then have a bye week and come home? I mean, just, it goes on and on and on. And there are just so many things that go into creating the NFL schedule. Like I said, four people for four months and 255 computers, give or take, however many they actually have, working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, combing through 20,000 plus type of rules that says if this happens, then that should happen, then this gives it a score of X. I mean, it's just probably in a crazy, insane way to be able to come up with an end product. 
but that's one reason why the NFL is so successful. Now, I left a really interesting link to the NFL's website describing the process for developing the schedule in the show notes, which, by the way, you can get to the show notes by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com. Also, to keep getting the freshest, hottest out the press episodes each and every week, I ask that you subscribe for free to the show by mashing that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. But now, let's take our DeLorean back to February 16th, 1931, because this is the birthday of the hero that we wanted to talk about in this story, the original NFL scheduling czar. Now, his name was Val Pinchback Jr. He was considered as instrumental in growth of the NFL as any commissioner in history. That's a pretty big statement, right? But it's probably pretty true because there's a lot of things that this guy did to advance the NFL in the light of American eyes, not to mention international eyes as well. Let's kind of go back a little bit, get a few highlights about this individual. He graduated at Syracuse School of Journalism back in 1952. From 1952 to 1954, he was a Navy veteran in the Korean War. In the Mediterranean, Caribbean, and the Atlantic, he served 21 years also in the Naval Reserve, retired in 1971 with the rank of commander. During all this time, he began his football-centric career as a sports information director at Bucknell University for two years. Then from 1956 to 1966, he had the same job at Syracuse, you know, his alma mater. And to be destined to be a part of the NFL, this was the time in Syracuse where the legendary Jim Brown and Ernie Davis were, you know, the stars of the nation. Then in 1966, he served as the president of the College Sports Information Directors of America. Later on in 1987, Pinchbeck would be recognized by Syracuse University as Honorary Letter Winner of Distinction. But on to the reason why we're all here. The NFL. Why is he called the NFL Scheduling Czar? I mean, he had to get a start somewhere, right? Well, in 1966, he was hired as the Director of Special Events for the AFL by then-Commissioner Al Davis. Most of us know that guy too, right? A little eccentric himself. And then for three years, he served as the PR director for the Denver Broncos and Coach Lou Saban. Then in 1970, this is when it kind of turned into uh, him helping the NFL create some traction even more. You know, this is the year also that the AFL and NFL merged. So it was kind of a huge year in the history of the long-storied NFL. But this time, he was hired to be the Assistant to the first president of the American Football Conference, Kansas City Chiefs owner Lamar Hunt. He also served as the main liaison between AFC teams and his new boss of the NFL, Commissioner Pete Rozelle, also from the PR world. Something else is a side story that Pinchbeck is responsible for. He personally helped move the annual Pro Bowl game from Los Angeles to Honolulu. Then in 1978, He was promoted to the director of NFL Broadcasting. This is where he really made his impact and stamp on the game. I mean, he did many things. Like I said, he helped move the Pro Bowl game from Los Angeles to Honolulu. But probably more important at that time, he helped negotiate very lucrative contracts for the NFL. I mean, this wasn't just saying, hey, walk in, let's uh, have our network and, you know, we'll have this game and let's play it over there on CBS and that kind of thing. I mean, think about it. There were interests from all sides of the party. The NFL Network wanted to get as much as they could. You know, the NFL teams, that is. The networks didn't want to have to pay that much. You know, CBS wanted specific games on their 
you know, their broadcast channel. Fox wanted him on theirs. And, you know, there's this kind of going back and forth thing. So if you didn't have this guy in the middle that was kind of the liaison to all of them and trying to keep everything together, the whole thing could have, you know, it could have blown up. And then NFL wouldn't be where it is today because it wouldn't have that high visibility as far as the TV air goes. But beyond this, the most famous thing that he's responsible for, as in the thing that he goes down in history of the lore of the NFL, like I said, he was dubbed the NFL scheduling czar because he was most famously responsible at the beginning for creating the league schedule. I mean, sure, before him, there was a lot of, uh, obviously, you had to have some kind of schedule. You know, someone had to help create it, but it wasn't as, um, I don't want to say scientific because he wasn't super scientific in his approach all the time, but it wasn't as a long, thought-out, drawn process to try to get the best possible scenario. It was just some, okay, here's the game, boom, bam, let's just get it going on. He helped take the NFL from just a regular creative schedule to thinking about how it impacts all the factors involved. So, of course, among other things, you know, he had to decide which teams played each other, when they played, where they played, what time they played, and even the TV outlet it would be on. Oh, wait, you also got to figure out who's going to play the Monday night games, who's going to be on the road, who's going to be home, when. Back-to-back road games, you know, trips across the nation. Let's just, for instance, say the Seahawks having to travel all the way to New York, fly back home, and then go all the way to Miami. Well, that doesn't seem right. So he had to kind of take all these things into account, all these various factors that maybe weren't considered in the previous years. And the craziest thing of all, I mean, like I said at the beginning of this episode, right now we have four different dudes who work on this schedule for four months, and they have 250 computers, or at least that's what it sounds like, working for them with all these different algorithms and you know calculations and that kind of thing. Back in the day, though, Val Pinchbeck did this all by hand in his head and this crazy pegboard that he would just walk up there. Well, I'm going to move this game over here. I'm going to put that game there. Sit back and he'd just stare at that thing for hours. There was even a story in one of the videos that I put in the show notes of, you know, the four guys nowadays talking about how Val would just stare at that board. He would go up. He'd move a game over to here. He'd sit back in his chair, put his big old belly out, sit there eating macadamia nuts. Think about it. Have an epiphany. Go up there. Switch it around. Just start the whole process all over again. But he really cared about the outcome of the schedule. I mean, think about it. He had so many people to please around the NFL. Like I said before, NFL owners, the fans, city officials, networks. The list goes on and on and on. And there's, from what they're saying, hundreds of trillions of options, according to the NFL Films video. I mean, it's crazy to think, but Pinchback's successor said that Val would work 10 to 12-hour days, seven days a week from February And this would go all the way to May just to figure out that perfect schedule. So we all have Val Pinchback to thank for the different slates on DraftKings each week. By the way, you can get a free entry to a DraftKings tournament today by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com slash DraftKings. Again, that's thefootballhistorydude.com slash DraftKings. But getting back to Val. Now he retired in 1998. But, of course, the league kept him on as a consultant. At the time, everyone knew He's not really retired. He's going to stay as active as ever before. So he may have this retired clause, but he's still there working in the office, helping him create the schedule. And he would do that. He would continue to play an integral role in making the season schedule pretty much up until the day he died. I mean, 
unfortunately, that's true. You see, on March 6th, 2004, at the age of 73, he was struck by a taxi while crossing a street in Manhattan. And you know what he was doing? Even though he lived in Florida, he was at the NFL's Midtown office working on the schedule. After his passing, there was, you know, of course, because of this huge contributor to the NFL, they had, you know, various tribute kind of videos and such. And one of them I saw was Rich Eisen being the host. And on this video, there were top executives from Fox Sports and CBS Sports that just, they couldn't say enough good things about this guy. A quote from the then Fox Sports president, Ed Gorin, went as such. You know, Val wasn't just a Hall of Famer. He was a throwback who represented and loved the NFL. In the end, if you want to spell the word class, it's V-A-L, end quote. And talking about the Hall of Fame, you know, like he was saying, he was inducted to the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame in 2008. And Paul Tagliabue was the one who presented him. And of course, he had many great stories and kind words to say about Val. But one story spoke about how Val was responsible for implementing the instant replay. Even though at the time, you know, he originally told Tagliabue, he's like, dude, that's impossible. But he stuck to it. He had that crazy enthusiasm and they got the NFL instant replay pushed through the system. And now we have that as just like, just common. It's just common part of the NFL. And even though some of us don't like some of the outcomes and we just want to see that game played on the field, there are many times when it's just the refs couldn't see it. But the NFL instant replay got the call right. And one of the uh, ways to honor him, the room at the NFL office headquarters in New York where they make the schedule still is called the Val Pinchbeck Room. But with that being said, the Sports Broadcast Hall of Fame described how just as a computer cannot duplicate what Pinchbeck did himself, Nobody else has been able to replicate his dedication, passion, and commitment to the NFL. One of the best quotes to describe Pinchbeck's bad scientist approach comes from his successor, Dennis Lewin, and it goes as such. When we went to NASA to describe the computer we wanted to build, we said we wanted to build it like Val's brain. In computer language, they call them algorithms. So we told them we wanted to create a Valgorithm. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets of the man known as the NFL's Scheduling Czar. In the next episode, we continue the scheduling conversation with the breakdown of the AFL-NFL merger on our way to discuss a brief history of the playoffs in a couple weeks. But for now, dudes, I'm through with your three. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, Please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. 
Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.